Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. So hello and welcome to the Opus Private Client Well Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I'll be your host today. Uh, on with us is uh, Michael Kennerick from Kennerick and Kennerick, a uh, fantastic friend and, and wonderful estate planning attorney that's done some great work for our clients. Michael, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing well, Yvonne. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm really excited to have you on today to talk a, a little bit about uh, a pretty popular conversation that we've been having these days around uh, state taxes and some of the different pending changes that are coming up and some strategies that we can put in place with our clients to help mitigate that. So as we've all heard, the one guarantee or the guarantee, the only guarantee in life is death and taxes. So we're going to combine both of those today and talk a little bit about that. But before we kick it off, why don't you introduce yourself to, you know, tell the audience a little bit about you, about the firm, and we'll go from there. Sure. As Yvonne said, my name is Michael Kanarik, and I've been practicing law just about 20 years now. I graduated law school in 21 years ago and then picked up a master's in tax for the following year. So it's been about 20 years. I started off at a big law firm in their estate planning department and started my own practice in 2007. And I've been uh, solo since that time, so about 14 years, and last year brought on an associate. So now we're uh, a firm of two lawyers and an, an assistant as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, again, thanks for everything that you do. I know you take wonderful care of our clients with their basic and some more complex estate planning needs. Why don't you just give the audience a little bit of the landscape today as to what very basic quick conversation of what estate tax is and how does it work? The estate tax is a tax that's imposed at the time of your death based on the amount of assets that you're leaving to your heirs. The tax code allows you to leave a certain amount tax-free. And if you go above that amount, then anything above that amount becomes taxable at fairly significant rates. I should note that the estate tax does not apply when you leave assets to a spouse. Generally speaking, for married couples with children, there's no issue when the first one passes. The issue occurs when the second one passes, the assets go to the kids. And, and again, if you're going above the exemption amount, then you get taxed on that amount. Got uh, it. And so, so you mentioned the exemption amount. So that's basically an amount of money that I can pass to my wife without having her pay estate taxes. But when we both so, pass away, that- the, Yeah, so let me just jump in there, Yvonne. So the exemption is irrelevant when you leave assets to your wife, okay? So anything that passes to a spouse passes estate tax free, regardless of what the exemption is, okay? So you could leave a billion dollars to your spouse without a tax. The, the exemption becomes relevant more at the second death uh, because that's the amount 
that you can pass tax-free to your kids or anybody else for that matter without paying a tax. Great. And, and the current exemption amount is $11.7 million, correct? That federally? is correct. Yeah, federally. So let's be clear. There are states that impose their own state a state tax. Most states do not, although New York happens to be a state that does. Um, but in speaking for purposes of this conversation, we'll mostly talk federally, although I can talk a bit about the New York estate tax as well. And you are correct. The federal estate tax exemption is currently $11.7 million. This was put into place under the Trump tax laws uh, a few years back. It is set to expire after 2025, at which time it's, it's due to be cut in half. Having said that, we're already having bills written under the you know Biden administration, which would you know completely overhaul the Trump estate tax laws. Right. So today, if I get hit by a bus, my wife and I both get hit by a bus today. We're able to pass down a little over twenty three million dollars to our kids without having them pay any estate tax. But after twenty twenty five, that number goes from twenty three million to roughly $11 million. Is that fair yeah, as, that, as it stands currently? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, to, uh, to be technical, the state tax exemption is $10 million plus there's an inflation adjustment. So every year mm. it changes a little bit. Currently, that's why we have an $11.7 million exemption. By 2025, the exemption will be north of $12 million at that point, And then it will end up getting cut in half starting in, after 2025 if it doesn't get changed prior to that by the Biden tax law. And I'll note for the listeners that you mentioned my wife and I leaving 23, a little over 23 million. You know, what obviously what you're doing there is multiplying the exemption by two because both spouses have an $11.7 million exemption. So when you combine the exemption, which you can do under current law, with there, there is, there's some formality that needs to be followed in order to combine your exemptions. But if, as long as you're following the formalities, then you can essentially, for a married couple, double up on that exemption. That's called portability. Great. And, and you mentioned it already. The Biden administration has put together some general proposals on what they envision the estate tax to go to. Can you kind of fill us in on what you're hearing and what you anticipate may be a potential change going forward? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what we've seen is that the, the bill as drafted would reduce the estate tax exemption to $3.5 million dollars. Um, what I'm hearing is that there's probably going to be a good amount of pushback on the bill. And, and obviously that drop is significant, 11.7 down to 3.5. In addition to dropping the estate tax exemption, the bill also includes a lot of other aspects that would increase taxes due at death and also inhibit one's ability to do estate tax planning. So there's a lot of features to that bill in addition to the drop in exemption. I highly doubt the bill is going to get passed as drafted, whether that means the estate tax exemption ends up being higher than three and a half or some of the other aspects of the bill get removed, I think remains to be seen. But I certainly wouldn't expect the bill to pass as drafted. But it is very hard to say. If I sort of think back on my career, multiple state tax laws changes just in the last 20 years, possibly four or five of them at this point. And I think the sort of the, what we hear on the street kind of thing leading up to the 
change in the law never ended up coming to fruition. It was always something different than what we thought we were going to get. So kind of hard to say where this is going to land. I guess that remains yeah. to be seen. Absolutely. I, I think regardless of where it ends up, we're both on the same page here that something will change, that there will most likely be at, at the very earliest 2025. But the likelihood is that there's going to be some type of reduction in this in this exemption. I'm familiar with it based off of the strategies that we put in place for our clients. But can you give the audience some more information on what types of strategies folks can utilize to reduce the reduce or eliminate their estate? Estate tax reduction slash elimination, the goal there is to remove assets from a client's name so that when they die, they don't have these assets in their name to be taxed at the time of their death, right? And there's really two ways to remove assets from one's name, obviously outside of the client just spending them all down. But, you know, two ways a client can transfer the assets out of his or her name. One would be to gift them and the other would be to sell them. The Both of those strategies are, are pretty popular strategies in estate planning, and, and they work a little bit differently. On the gifting side, th- there's a misconception out there that you are limited in the ability to gift your assets away to the tune of $15,000 per year per beneficiary. Okay, that, that what people think is their limit, that's called the annual exclusion. And and that is really not a a gifting limit, okay? The gifting limit right now is the estate tax exemption. In other words, the amount of money you're allowed to leave tax-free at your death, again, currently $11.7 million for an individual, is really the amount that you can, you know, leave to your heirs tax-free at your death or give to them while you're alive, or a combination of those two things. In other words, if I wanted to make a $5 million gift to my kids to reduce my assets by $5 million, I'm free to do that. What that means is, instead of having an $11.7 million exemption when I die, I would have used five of that up already, which then means I have $6.7 million of exemption left when I die. What the 15000 that everyone hears about and everyone thinks is the limit, what that represents is the amount that you could give away each year to each number of beneficiaries without it eating into your estate tax exemption. Okay, so within the 15, you don't eat into the estate tax exemption, but you're not limited to that 15. The thought might be, okay, but if I give away money to reduce my assets, but at the same time, I also reduce my estate tax exemption on a dollar for dollar basis, not counting the 15,000 exemption, did I really accomplish anything, right? So for example, somebody has a $20 million estate and the estate tax exemption, let's just make it $12 million just for math purposes. Okay. If they do nothing, they're going to get taxed on $8 million when they die. 20 million minus the $12 million exemption leaves $8 million subject to taxes. If they give away 5 million so that their estate gets reduced from 20 to 15, but their exemption drops from 12 million to 7 million, they're still getting taxed on $8 million. So the thought is, well, I didn't really accomplish anything. However, what we're seeing right now is that because we have this $11.7 million exemption now that we might not have anymore very soon, we're in this sort of use it or lose it situation. 
right? So let's take that uh, $20 million client and they give away, again, let's make the estate tax exemption $12 million. They give away $12 million. Okay. Now their estate's $8 million and they have no estate tax exemption left. And let's say the exemption drops to $5 million. Well, in the case where they made the gift, they have $8 million of assets. They have no exemption left, whether the exemption was 12 or five, and they're gonna get taxed on $8 million at the time of death. However, if the client does nothing, they keep their $20 million and the estate tax exemption is $5 million at the time of their death. Well, now they're getting taxed on $15 million. So we're in this situation right now where there's a p- potential change coming up where people are thinking, oh, let me use the exemption while I can before, before it drops and I can't use it anymore. So that's you know, one advantage of making gifts now versus just sitting there and doing nothing and waiting until death to leave the assets. The second advantage is the appreciation of the assets after the gift. So let's take this same example. Let's, let's take the same example, but say the exemption was never going to change. It's permanently $12 million. It's $12 million today. It's going to be $12 million when I die. So there really is no advantage to making the gift. Again, that's not true. Let's say they gift the $12 million today. And at the time of their death, the $12 million had been invested or was $12 million worth of company stock or something like that becomes more valuable over time. And let's say at the time of their death, that $12 million was worth $25 million. Well, if they had given it away at 12 and it turns out it's worth 25, that whole 25 is now not part of their estate because they gave it away, right? So they still have their $8 million that's going to be subject to estate taxes. If they don't make the gift and they have $20 million and 12 of it grows to 25, let's say they get to eight and now they have another 20. Now they have a $33 million estate. And sure, they still get their $12 million exemption when they die, but now they have $21 million subject to taxes. So the idea of gifting assets away today really accomplishes two things. One, it makes sure we could use this very high exemption. And two, it gets it out of our name for appreciation purposes going forward. It's extremely popular thing to do. Forget about the change in the exemption, but just this appreciation concern. Family businesses, closely held family businesses, or someone put an investment in a a startup company or something that they have high expectations for in the future might not have the biggest value right now, but they feel like it's going to pop at some point in the future. Well, gifting it away now at a low value where we're not using a ton of exemption and letting it grow after it's gifted, that's a home run because the whole thing is out of your estate without making a large gift. So there's really two you know, advantages right now to, to moving assets out of your estate via a gift you know, or a sale, which we haven't really gotten into the sale aspect, but we're, seeing, we're really seeing a lot of that right now. So I think with any estate planning or any tax planning, that any client does, the time to start evaluating the options is now, right? I mean, you'd really want to take a look at what the current landscape looks like, what the options are, and then figure out where do you think your assets are headed? Because things constantly change, but you know, I don't historically know what the tax 
exemptions have looked like, but my understanding is this is probably the largest it has ever been. So now is really the time to start evaluating these strategies. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So just to give you a feel for that, I mean, when I started practicing law, the estate tax exemption was $675,000. Yeah. Uh, over time, if you died in this year, you got a million dollar exemption. That year it was a million and a half, and then it was two million, and then it was three and a half million, and then it was five million. And so it really has changed so many times. And a lot of times we're dealing with people in their 40s or their 50s. I mean, their debt's 40, 50 years out. There is no way where you can predict what the estate tax exemption is going to be at the time of their death, nor is there any way we could predict what their assets are going to be at the time of their death. But we know that if we can get the assets out of their name today, then hey, we got them out of their name and we, they're not going to be subject to taxes at the time of their death, regardless of what the tax is and what the assets are. So, you know, doing things sooner rather than later is, is never going to hurt you. Um, and also, I think it's important that I address, I keep saying giving away or gifting away, or I think it's important to understand what that means. That probably makes it sound like, I, you know, okay, I'm going to give, I'm just going to hand my kid $5 million, here's a check for $5 million. That's, you know, while, while that is an option, that's generally not what this looks like. Generally speaking, we're making gifts to family trusts, and the gifts are not made in cash. A lot of times they're made, like I said, in, in company stock or real estate, you know, sometimes marketable security portfolios, sometimes life insurance policies. But once they're in the family trust, it ends up being usually a trust for the, say, the benefit of your spouse and children, right? So if I set up a family trust, I can't be the beneficiary of that trust, okay? Because if you give away an asset and, and maintain the ability to take it back, it's not going to be outside of your estate. But my spouse and my children can be the beneficiaries of the trust. So when I'll move assets into a family trust and they'll be outside of my taxable estate, but let's say 10 years go by and I say, oh, geez, things haven't really gone my way. I really wish I wouldn't have given away that much money into the, into the family trust. You know, we need some of it back. Distributions can be made to my spouse. And that is a nice level of comfort in that, yeah, we're gifting it out of our estate for estate tax purposes, but we're not necessarily kissing it goodbye forever, right? We right. hope that we don't have to take it back, but we might be able to, you know, to take it back later on. That particular type of trust, one that's set up for the benefit of your spouse and children, that's generally uh, referred to as a SLAT a spousal lifetime access trust. And right now it's got to be the most popular estate tax technique going. Yeah, I think we're certainly seeing that a lot with our clients implementing a SLAT. And I think the concern around any trust, as you mentioned, was the giving up the control, right? I, I think that is one of the major concerns that anybody has about removing assets from their estate. So can you just explain a little bit more for the audience on how the control works just one more time if, they're, if they did want to retain some type of control or, or, or want to get it back, how that would work? Yeah. Like I said, generally speaking, the person making the gift cannot remain in control or can continue to have a beneficial interest in the gifted away property but that doesn't apply to spouses and children. Trusts are controlled by a trustee or trustees, and the client's free to name their spouse as a trustee. If they have adult children, they're free to name their adult children as trustee. So while they can't 
may name themselves as trustee, they can certainly name spouses or children or close relatives or close friends where they would be able to, you know, exercise, you know, de facto control, you know, because they have the relationship with the trustee and the trustee is going to listen to what the client has to say. In addition, the trust can be built where the person putting the money in the trust, the client has the ability to fire trustees and hire new trustees. So if they, you know, they put someone in place and they don't like the way it's going, you know, they, they can make a change there. Yeah. It's pretty flexible as far as that goes in family businesses where let's say the client owns hundred percent of the business, they run the business, they're used to having all the say, if they give you know, more than 50% of the uh, interest in the business over to the trust, then all of a sudden now someone else is running the business, i.e. the trustee. And even though they might have a lot of sway over that trustee, that could just be very uh, annoying from a running of the business purposes. In, in those cases, what, you know, what we tend to do is have the client transfer non-voting and not interest in the business to the trust and they maintain a voting interest. What's not uncommon if the business is an LLC, we say that we change the operating agreement to reflect that 99% of the interests in the business are non-voting. 1% is a voting interest. If it's an S corporation, we change the stock to have two different types of stock, a stock and a non-voting stock. And usually you'll see the same thing where 99% is made non-voting and 1% is voting. And that gives the client the ability to really transfer 99% of the value into the trust, but maintain the only voting piece, which continues to allow them to, you know, they continue, they continue to be able to run the business fully without getting a trustee involved in, in the day-to-day operations of the company. Got it. Got it. No, I think that's super valuable. I mean, we've been talking about some pretty large numbers, 11.7. And one of the conversations that we talk about, and we brought it up early in the conversation was the state estate taxes. I mean, in Massachusetts, I think the exemption is 1 million. In Connecticut, it's a little over five. Here in New York, it's almost six. And it's a constant conversation in each state because it's a really large revenue driver, right? And Connecticut's always talking about reducing that exemption. Are you seeing clients leaving particular states because they're trying to reduce that risk? What are you seeing out there as it relates to estate taxes? You know, so uh, there are a few states that have state estate taxes. New Jersey, my home state, got rid of their estate tax a few years back. As you mentioned, New York has an estate tax uh, exemption of almost $6 million. It's $5.93 million. Interestingly enough, New York does not allow the surviving spouse to use the uh, exemption of their of the first spouse to die. So in other words, it's really $5.93 million per person, not $12-ish million per couple. There are some interesting strategies that we need to use in order to allow both spouses to take advantage of their New York state tax exemptions. But to answer your question, obviously, historically, you have a lot of people moving to Florida, for example, is a big one, right? Florida doesn't have a state taxes. I, I, I think a lot of that is driven by income taxes as well, right? Florida doesn't have yeah. income tax. So I think a lot of times in client people's minds, it's, hey, I, I, I want to stop paying income taxes. Let me go to a low tax or non-tax state for that purpose. And of course, over the last year and a half with the pandemic, we've really seen a lot of people moving to these, you know, more Southern states, warmer states, more remote places and getting out of these northeast big cities kind of thing, which 
maybe is partially due to taxes and partially due to lifestyle, climate, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are there any other non-tax topics that you're seeing a lot of these days with your clientele? When Trump's tax bill came out several years ago and, and really put a, people in a position where they were probably not going to be subject to the estate tax, or at least put most people in that position, obviously. You do, you have people that are north of that $23 million number, but for, for a time, people got a little complacent with, hey, I don't have an, I'm never going to have an estate tax issue. And there was a shift in the estate planning community to, to focus, you know, more heavily on some non-tax things. And the, the biggest one, and I think the one that, you know, my, my clients that when I talk to them all really love is the ability to protect assets for the for their children and grandchildren. And that's also done through the use of trusts. I know we've been talking about slats is that there's an estate tax purpose there, um, but trusts also provide asset protection, right? So let's say I don't have a tax problem at all. And can I just do an estate plan where I leave everything to my spouse and then at the second death, we leave everything to the kids, right? I hear that all the time from people. I, my situation is simple. This is what I want. And then I explain to them, is that really what you want? Or do you want to leave assets to your kid? And then if your kid gets divorced or sued or goes bankrupt or at creditors or whatever, that those assets are for grabs? Or do you want to leave them in a manner where you know, a lawsuit or a divorce keeps just keeps the, their money protected. And of course, they say, no, of course, if my kid got divorced, I wouldn't want them having to, you know, give up the assets. And then I say, <laughs> let's say your child doesn't get divorced. Let's say you they inherit your money. They have a, you know, they don't get divorced. They die, and their assets go to their spouse, and their assets would include the inheritance that you left them. And that's going to go to their spouse. And then who knows? Maybe their spouse remarries. Who knows what happens from there? Or we could set it up so that you leave your money to your children, but if a child passes away, the, the inheritance that they receive from you automatically flows down to their children, like the client's grandchildren. And again, they said, no, yeah, we, that's, that's, that's the one we want, right? We're really seeing almost all of my clients are wanting to utilize this dynastic planning, we'll call it, right? A generational trusts that money's left in trust for children and it stays in trust for their lifetime and then flows down to their children at their death. And, and we keep the pattern going. It could go down to grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth, as long as the money lasts. So we can keep the structure in place. And the other interesting thing about that structure is that to a certain extent, as the money flows down from generation to generation, it wouldn't be taxed in the estate of the child and then the grandchild, et cetera, right? So in other words, if I have $20 million and I live that to my kid and, and I pay state taxes on that and my kid, let's say, inherits $12 million after estate taxes are paid and then they die and leave that $12 million to their kids, now there's another level of state tax to be paid. Well. You know, utilizing these dynastic trusts, we can get money moving down from one generation to the next outside of the estate tax system permanently, potentially. Again, there's some limitations on that, which is called generation skipping transfer tax. It'll probably be on the scope of this podcast, but, but you know, for a good chunk of money, we can have it flow down generation to generation outside of the estate tax system. That's great. Yeah. I, I mean, we could probably spend all day talking about the 
the ways to pass down assets appropriate and to keep money within the family. But we've shared a ton of information today. If there's one thing that you want the, the audience to leave with or one thing that we didn't talk about, what would you want to make sure that the audience leaves with? I think it's just we see so many people that either did have done no planning whatsoever or have done overly basic planning. And I really think that clients should take a look at yeah, their estate planning. So essentially look at their wills, look at powers of attorney, look at medical directives for things that need to be updated or just done better. And I really feel like there's a lot of people out there you know, putting together estate planning documents that aren't expert in estate planning. They sort of, they do, yeah, a little estate planning, they do a little real estate, they do traffic tickets or divorce law or that, that kind of thing. And there's so, there's so much nuance to it that you you really need to have an expertise in order to, to do a great job with it. And then, and the other thing that's constantly missed in people's estate plan is People have to understand that not all of their assets pass pursuant to their will. So they might have had this conversation with the attorney and the attorney really knew what they were doing. And they talked about the dynastic trusts and they talked about the tax planning and, and the wills are done you know, perfectly from all these perspectives. But the wills don't control everything. Big one that we see life insurance, right? Someone's got Someone's got a will that has the perfect language, exactly how they want it. There's trust for the kids. And then they have a $5 million life insurance policy and their kid is named the beneficiary. Well, guess what happens? (laughs) That the money goes directly to the kid, all the trust work, all the tax planning that you thought you put in place there as it relates to that payout, that's out the window. Not only is it getting your documents in good order, it's also then paying attention to what, what assets do you have and how do they, how does it work when you die with, as, as it relates to each asset and how does it pass? So we'll sit down with clients and really coordinate all of their assets with their estate plan. That's a huge miss in, in the estate planning world. And it's something that's so important that gets done. So Mike, as we wrap up, where can the listening audience find out some more information about you, about your firm? Uh, where can they look you up? Sure. Obvious answer. You can go to my website, which is canaric-law.com. Canaric is spelled C-A-N-A-R-I-C-K. So canaric-law.com is my website. Feel free to email me, which is mcanaric at canaric-law.com. And I guess those are the, that's the best way to, to get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, Mike, I appreciate the time. Thanks again for all the information. I know it was really valuable. We'll certainly have a follow-up to this conversation. So for the listening audience, uh, stay tuned for that. Subscribe below uh, to be informed when we have new podcasts. And I appreciate the time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. 
This podcast was recorded in 2021. Data, rates, and information used were indicative of market conditions as of the date of the recording. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends were based on those market conditions and time period. Although accurate at the date of recording, these opinions are subject to change without notice. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Yvonne Watanabe is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Compliance Approval 2023-156375. Expires June 2025.